0: It's great to see you here today. Hope you enjoyed your week. We're in part two of this series on helping a friend or helping people through what they're going through. And obviously the things I'm talking about are going to help you as well. We talked about how I did a series on how to have great relationships, and it was all about you. It was. And then I did a series about the Bible, and it was all about spiritual growth. But I wanted to focus... Even if it's just in the title where it says helping a friend through tough times, I wanted to put that in there because I want us to be the type of church that we think like this. This is for me, but I want to learn this so I can also help others. Because so many things that I talk about is around how you can have a better life. But really, when you think about spiritual growth, we want to take the things that we've learned to help other people grow spiritually as well. So I want to implant that in your mind, like, it's not just about me. I want this for me, but I want to be the type of person that I can help other people as well. That as a result of going to church, not only did I get a better life, but I've been equipped to help other people have a better life. So today we're talking about depression. We go through depression. Your friends will go through depression. In Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but depression drains one's strength. You can circle that word, drains. When you're depressed, it makes you feel hopeless. You just want to give up. You lose your energy. It wears you down. You know, no matter how hard you try not to be depressed, reality happens. Life happens. Situations happen. And you feel depressed. I'm not talking about clinical depression, where... You need to go to a doctor and get medicine for that. What I'm going to share won't help with clinical depression. This is specifically like with depression caused from maybe a relationship goes sour or goes south or you're wounded by it and you feel hurt and depressed. Maybe through a situation in life, a tragedy happens and it brings depression. Um, Things don't work out the way that you were hoping they'd work out and you feel depressed. We all go through that. I don't know anybody that doesn't feel depression sometimes where you reach a point where you feel like it's hopeless and you feel like, "Uh, what's the use? Nothing's going to get better anyway. Why even try? Or maybe you get really moody because of the way you're feeling. People, I notice, respond to depression in different ways. You know, a lot of people, when they're depressed, they turn to food because it gives them, when you're feeling depressed and you turn to food, food can be a, a pleasure, it can be something that you enjoy that temporarily gets your mind off of the way you're feeling. So food can be one of the things. Me, when I feel depressed, I tend to go to sleep. What I want to do is I just want to go in bed and just sleep long enough that when I wake up, the problem's gone. It never works. I don't know why that doesn't work. But that's my desire is to, to sleep it off so I don't have to think about it. Just to try to, I'm trying to escape from my problems when I do that. Some people go shopping. Like, it's just another way to get pleasure. You're feeling depressed, so by buying things, you get pleasure, and it might make you feel pleasurable at that moment, but it's not going to last forever, of course. And some people withdraw. They don't want to be around people. They try to hide from people. But everybody responds to depression in different ways. And you want to know, like, what do I do when I feel depressed? And you start noticing these things that you do. But I'm telling you this. Everybody will get depressed because sometimes life is the pits. It is. Life isn't always fun. Life goes in a direction that you didn't expect. And it makes you feel depressed. It makes you feel like giving up. If you're depressed, if you have friends that are depressed, I do have good news. Just something I noticed. You'll notice like when you're reading the Bible... People get really depressed, and then God uses them for greatness. And you think, what, like, why? Like David, King David, he's totally depressed, and then God makes him the king and does all these great things with him. Elijah was totally depressed, and then God does something great with his life. Moses was totally depressed, and then God does something super in his life. Jonah was totally depressed, and then God does something great in his life. And it makes me think this. I can't, say, I can't promise you this. I can't promise across the board that this is what happens to everybody. But it sure does seem like a lot of times when people are depressed in the Bible, it's right before greatness happens. So if you're feeling depressed, maybe greatness is about to happen. Maybe something really big is about to happen good in your life. Because it does seem to happen quite a bit in Scripture where the person that's depre- depressed is the one that God uses and some fantastic way to do something. We've all had those feelings of just feeling helpless. And that gloom is here and nothing's going to get better. I want to look at a couple of passages in Psalms. Because King David, he, he wrote these songs. And in his songs, he was expressing his depression. He was expressing the way he felt during these things. And you think, if he felt this depressed... And God used him in a great way. Maybe God is going to use me for something great. Maybe I I don't need to give up. Look at Psalm 38, verses 5 through 8. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sin. I am bent over and racked with pain. My days are filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. He's depressed. He's really low. I mean, I don't think I've ever felt this bad. But God used him in a great way. Look at this next one. I've cried out to you day and night. God hears my cry. My life is full of troubles and death draws near. You have thrust me down to the lowest pit and to the darkest depths. Have you felt like that? Like those dark times in your life. You're so depressed. And, of course, he goes on to become king and do great things. So, God, it's, it's like when we think it's all gloom and doom and we think that, you know, the picture's over, God says, no. No, this is just a moment. You're going to get through this. I've got great plans for your life. He wants to do something really awesome in your life. But in the moment, you feel alone. In the moment, you feel like God is a million miles away, but he's not. He's there with you. I mentioned that we see this with Moses. We see this with Elijah, with David, with Jonah. I want to take one of the situations that happened with Moses. We're going to look at that and see what happens here. Moses was the leader of the Israelite people. God told him to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom. So they're going to go into the desert. And now they're in the desert and they're going to go into the promised land. So you take this great, this group of people and you free them from slavery. We're free, right? You get to the desert. You're now on the way to the promised land. The walk to the promised land only takes a couple weeks walking. They'd have to go sober because they have children and animals, but it's not a long distance. You know, so it's, we're right there. We're almost, you know, it's not gonna take long. You're in the desert, you're finally free. And I think Moses is expecting celebration and gratefulness and happiness. You know, the first thing that that they do now that they get in the desert, okay, we're free, we're free. They start complaining, where are we gonna get water? Now realize God just delivered them. This God just got them there. They saw miracles, there were plagues that happened. That against the Egyptian people, so they'd be set free. So you would think they'd be just like excited to see what God was going to do next. They started complaining. We don't have meat to eat. Now, if you read the story, you're going to find out that when they left Egypt, they had sheep and goats. They didn't leave Egypt without meat. But it's one of those things like, oh, yes, but it's the same thing. And you know what they even started saying? Well, at least when we were now, they were slaves, Remember? They used to be slaves, and they were saying, at least when we were in Egypt, we had cucumbers there. That's one of the things they brought up, cucumbers. Now, I could go with it. Cucumbers, slavery. Cucumbers, slavery. That's one of the foods that they brought up. At least when we were there, we had plenty of water to drink. They had the Nile River. And it was like when you're expecting great joy, you're stuck with a bunch of people complaining. Can you imagine how horrible that must have felt? Like for him. So, here's the passage, and here's what happens. In this great moment of freedom, in Numbers 11, 10-15, Moses heard all the family standing in front of their tents weeping, and the Lord became extremely angry. If God gets, because you know how God is patient and loving, if God gets angry, he's, <laughs> you must be really doing something to irritate him. And I think he was irritated, that He did this great blessing in their life, and the first thing they do is complain. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so miserably? What did I do to deserve the burden of a people like this? Are they my children? Am I their father? Is that why you have told me to carry them in my arms like a nurse carries a baby to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep complaining and saying, give us meat, other than sheep and goats, I guess. Give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. I'd rather you kill me than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. It's interesting. God's going to use Moses and continue to use him in a great way. But he got depressed, and his words was, basically, I wish I was dead. Have you ever felt that way—that you wish you were dead? And I'm not saying that you're suicidal, you know. But I have felt like I wish I was dead. There, there are times in the in my deepest pain in life that I wished I could go to bed because remember, I withdraw, I, I sleep right when I'm depressed. So my dream was, I just want to go to bed and not wake up. Wasn't suicidal, but I feel I wished my life was over. I wish I didn't have to continue with the problems I was going through. We've all had times like this in our life where we've felt this way. We want to give up. Well, Moses said that. It's funny. Here's Elijah's words. When God was using him and he was having a hard time, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. Jonah's words, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive. This is how they felt, and then God used them in amazingly great ways even though they were struggling with depression gives me hope it gives me hope that no matter how depressed I can feel at the moment I know it's only at the moment it's only at the moment my life isn't defined by that moment of depression I'm going to get through it and there's a good God that wants to do great things in my life there's a good God that wants to do great things in your life There's all kinds of things that make us feel depressed. It can be physical. If you're just tired, if you're exhausted, that can make you feel depressed. And, you know, all you need is rest, and you can be better. It can be chronic pain. If you're struggling with pain on an ongoing basis, that's going to make you feel depressed. That's going to hurt, you know, emotional. Loneliness. If you feel lonely, it makes you feel depressed. You're not feeling too happy about life. When you're feeling lonely, it could be some sort of abuse, a childhood trauma that affects you today and it makes you feel depressed. It can be spiritual guilt. If you walk around feeling guilty, that depresses you. Bitterness. If you, you know, you're walking around with bitterness, that depresses you. There's all different wa- uh, ways and reasons why people feel depressed. Here's some of the warning signs of depression one is fatigue. In your notes, you can write in consumed by activity. Moses said in Numbers 11, 15, the load is far too heavy. In other words, he's saying, I'm just tired. Now, realize he's leading 2 million people. And that's what you want to do with your life. You want to look at your life and say, when you're feeling depressed, you want to ask yourself, am I depressed because I'm just too busy? Sometimes we're so busy that we don't eat right. I'm not getting enough sleep. That's the first thing you want to look at if you feel depressed, is would you feel depressed right now if you would have had a, a full night of sleep? Would you feel depressed right now if you weren't so busy that you, and that you had time to like eat healthy and right? Sometimes you're going, 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 and that's the only reason you're depressed. It's nothing really. Emo- it, you feel it emotionally, but a lot of times it's just my lifestyle is too busy and it's wearing me out. The load is far too heavy. That's what he said. I'm just too tired. He's trying to do too much, and he can't. When we try to do more than what we're able to do, it makes you feel depressed. So we want to help our friends. You have a friend that you have a relationship with, a friendship with, and they're feeling depressed. One of the easy things to ask them, you don't have to be a professional psychologist to say this, but you just say, you know, are you tired? Are you physically tired? Are you getting enough sleep? A lot of depression is just that. Are you eating right? Do you have a day off from work? No, I work seven days a week. You need seven days a week. You need a day off. You need a day off. But you know, a lot of times to help a friend is that simple, and to help your own life it's that simple. That's one of the reasons why we get depressed. In Psalm six, verse two, it says, "I am worn out, O Lord. Have pity on me. Give me strength, for I'm completely exhausted." Why is he depressed? It's only two reasons. Well, it's one reason. I'm worn out. I'm completely exhausted. He just needs rest. Here's a second way that we have that causes us to get depressed. It's fear consumed by worry. When I'm consumed by worry, it can stress me out. In Numbers 11, 13, it says, Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? What's he doing there? He's worried. He's worried about something that he has no control over. How many times do you worry about things that you have no control over? You know, only God can take care of that. I can't. See, God asked Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. God never once, as you read the scriptures, he never told Moses to provide for their needs. Once Moses is trying to provide for those, their needs, What role is Moses taking on? Who is he trying to act like? He's trying to be God. He's trying to be God. Anytime I try to do something that I can't do, what am I trying? I'm trying to take what's God. and put it on me, but I can't do it, so I worry. I'm stressed out. In other words, I need to give to God what's God's, and the things I can do, I'll do. Like I know, okay, I can do this. For example, you're all stressed out because you need a job really bad, so you have to go to this job interview, okay? And you're all worried about whether or not they'll pick you or not because you need the job bad. You're worried. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have any control over who they pick? You're trying to be God, right? That's something you have no control over. That's up to somebody else. It's certainly up to you. It's up to them. It's up to God. It's not up to you. Okay, what do you have control over? You have control over your part like getting your resume together, you know, maybe practicing how you're going to communicate and your presentation. That's 100% on you, not the results. You could, you could have done everything possible and did the best job ever in that interview, not knowing that they set up the interview for everybody because he's going to hire his friend but he wanted to make it look publicly that he let everybody have a chance. But it was all, you know, and you think, I did the best I ever could do. I must be a loser. And he might be thinking, man, that, that person was really amazing. If it doesn't work out with my buddy, I'm going after them. But you don't know what's behind the scenes. You don't know. You never know. And it could even be something that God has something better for you. And you're thinking, this is the answer, this is the answer. How many times have you thought this is the answer? And later on, you praise God that you didn't get it. Have you ever tried to get a job and it fell through and then this other job opens up and it was better? And you're thinking, yes, if I would have got that other job, the first job, I would have never tried the second job. That happens all the time. So there's a lot of things that we worry about that we just don't know. So we have to give it to God. God. You know, I don't know. I'm just going to do my part. Let God be God and let God do his responsibility. And I'll just do the things that I'm able to do. Another one is frustration. When I'm consumed by unmet expectations. When you're expecting things to go one way and it doesn't. Like Moses. He was expecting when he got them out of slavery that they'd be grateful and happy and high-fiving and, and saying, Moses, you're awesome. Not Moses, what did you do, bring us here to die? That's what they said to him. And he's like, wait a minute. I was trying to help. I was getting you out of slavery. You guys were, by the way, the story says that it starts off with them crying out to God. Get us out of slavery. You guys were crying out. Help me, help me, help me. And God used me to help you. And now you're mad at me because you're in the desert. And by the way, we have to go through the desert to get to the promised land. And they were complaining. They are upset. Unmet expectations. No wonder Moses was depressed. He expected them to be grateful, and they weren't. He expected them to be happy, and they weren't. When other people don't do what you expect, it can make you feel depressed. You know, Moses sacrificed his whole life in order to do what God called him to do. And when Moses was in the desert... He was going through all the same suffering of what it's like to live in the desert as they were. It wasn't like he had air conditioning in his tent. It didn't work that way. If it was sweaty hot, he was sweaty hot with them. When he only had goat and sheep to eat for meat, that was the same as them. You know, when he only had that one little stream of water to drink, you know, whatever it was, it was some. He was just as hot and miserable as they were. The difference was he was thinking, wow, we're no longer in slavery. And they were thinking like, wow, I don't like the desert. And they were complaining. (laughs) They could only see the bad side. They couldn't see the good side of what was happening. They were only living in the moment. They couldn't see the bigger picture of what was happening. When you put your hope in people, they're going to let you down. Let me tell you what. I'm going to give you a promise. I promise everybody in this room, I will let you down. I don't want to, you know. That's not my goal. You know, I'm just promising you. I promise everybody in this room, I will hurt your feelings. Obviously, the closer you get to me, like, I'm more apt to hurt Tanya's feelings than anybody else, right? Because she's my wife. Because she has to put up with me. See, you guys get to go home. She has to go home with me. (laughs) You know, poor woman. You know, but... Obviously, I'm going to hurt her feelings more than I'm going to hurt your feelings. And I'm going to hurt my kids' feelings more than I'm going to hurt your feelings. But the closer you are to me, I'm going to hurt your feelings more than someone that doesn't know me as much. Okay, but I'm promising you. And you know what? Here's how bad we are as people. Sometimes I'm going to hurt your feelings, and because I'm in a bad mood or whatever, and it's on purpose. Have you ever done that to somebody? Or is that just me? Does only the pa- <laughs> Is the pastor the only one in the room that's hurt somebody on purpose before? No, no, you have too. You know what? You're going to hurt my feelings by accident and on, and on purpose. You're going to hurt one another's feelings on accident and purpose. I'm going, to do it to it. I'm going to do it too. Do you know why? Because we're all messed up. We're all messed up. I'm not saying we're dirty, rotten people. What I see in this room is good people. And can you imagine this? Because I know a lot of people here. We look in a room and these are really good, good people. And we still hurt each other. This is really good, good people. And we still, you know, why is that? Because we're human. We're human. Do you know what a church is? A church is filled with people like you and I. That we mess up, we hurt feelings, we do things like this. Uh, usually it's not intentional, but it happens, you know. I mean, and sometimes it's intentional. You have a bad day or whatever. But a church is filled with people just like you. That's a scary thought, right? They're just like me. Oh no, we're really messed up. Just like you, just like me. It's filled like this. And you know what a church is? Is we choose to love each other and forgive each other. That's a church. That's it. Just normal people like us that mess up, hurt people's feelings, not wanting to. You know. Um, but we do it because we're human. We make mistakes. But that's what a church is. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. Someone that's looking for like, if I ever went out and looked for a perfect church, once I joined it, I would have to quit because I wouldn't fit in because I'm messed up. So, you know, it's it's people that choose to love each other uh, in spite of our weaknesses. And you know what? How weaknesses work? I've got weaknesses in my life that I'm blind to. I don't really see it because, and you do too. Because if you weren't blind to your weaknesses, you wouldn't do it. You really wouldn't, if, if you could see it. But we all have these weaknesses that we don't notice about ourselves, but everybody else notices. We're all blind to our weaknesses. We're all flawed. That's why we need to be very gracious to other people, too. Because I don't see my weakness, but I see yours, Right? So, we need to be gracious to them because I've got my weaknesses, even some weaknesses I don't even notice, but everybody else notices it. So, I need to show you grace and forgiveness because I want you to show me grace. Uh, I know that I, you know, we're all in the same boat together. We're a family, loving God and loving each other. So, don't put your expectations into people because you will get hurt. Okay? These are the things that make you feel depressed. And, People need more than a book or a slogan or song to pull them out of depression. And I want us to look at what we can do to get out of depression. The hope Jesus offers us. Here's what your relationship with Christ will do for you. Number one in your notes Jesus offers me power I don't have. We get fatigued, we get tired, we get consumed by activity. And Jesus offers your power that can keep you going. Everybody that knows me knows I'm interested in human strength. What I mean by that is I love sports. And I love the Olympics because you see people do amazing things like run faster than anybody ever ever has up to that point in history. You know, every Olympics, it's like a record broken. Swim faster than anybody ever has in all of history to that point. Um, Lifting more weights than anybody ever has in all of history up to that point. Usually records are broken at these Olympics. Not every record gets broken. But, you know, it's a common thing to see. And you see the, 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 the strength of human beings and what they're able to pull off. And as amazing as that is and as, as much as I love to watch that stuff, I realize that strength means nothing beyond the event. It means nothing beyond the event. Let me tell you what I mean. So in the World Cup today, uh, one team won. And they're very excited about the victory. And we watch them, and, and, and they're like heroes to the world. Look at what they did. But someone could be in the middle of the World Cup, and in that hour and a half that they're playing soccer, they look like, you know, they've got it all together. But when they leave that, if they're having a problem with their wife, they're still not happy you know, you win the World Cup, but if you have a problem with your kids and your kids don't want to talk to you anymore because they're hurt by you, you're not happy. You know, if you have if you leave that, but you have an addictive problem that ruin in your life, that can still eat you up and tear you down and ruin your life. You know, there's all kinds of things. We look at an event like that, and there are heroes, but be, once they walk away from that event. that stuff doesn't really help them. It might give them an income. You know, income can help you in certain ways. But physical power and strength does so little for giving you the power you need to have a good, healthy life. Physical strength does not make you get rid of your depression. It doesn't have the power to do that. You need something greater than yourself, and that's the power of God working in you. Look at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So you want the God of hope to fill you with that joy and peace. You're not going to get that joy and peace any other way like that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Circle that word power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength to have power in life, to overcome depression, Have you ever seen scary movies and someone is demon-possessed? You say, oh, a demon, and and you feel, you know, freaky watching it on the show or whatever. They're demon-possessed. Do you know what's uh, interesting when you read the Bible? The Bible says when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside you. That means you're possessed by God. God lives in me. That's what it's talking about power. When you put your faith in Christ, it's a promise that He will live in you, God living in you. So, you know, you hear about demon possession. Well, I hope everybody in this room is possessed, but not with demons, but with God. God lives in you. He wants to, he wants to guide your life. He wants to influence you. He wants to give you the power that you need. But here's what happens is in our faith, we come to the grips we come to grips with the idea that I'm never going to be good enough to reach God. I can't. No matter how much I try, I'm not that good. I would be the most arrogant person in the world if I told you, hey, I'm so great that I've, I've reached God. <laughs> Maybe you'll be this great someday. I, I would be the most arrogant person in the world. What's our faith about? Our whole faith is based on the fact that I'm never going to be good enough to reach God. My faith is in Him being good enough to reach me. So I can't reach him. So he comes to earth as a man. He takes our sin upon himself, and he dies as a penalty for our sin. He said, whatever you've done wrong, I'm dying for it. I'm going to take the punishment. So you're free. My whole faith is in him being good enough to reach me. So we do that. But then we turn around and try to live life without his power. Because here's what happens is, I want God to forgive me for my sins. I want to spend eternity with you. And then he says, okay, now I'll give you the power to live a great life, but you have to do it my way. And then we said, Well, wait a minute. I don't want to do it your way, God. I want to do it my way. You know, I want to treat my wife the way I want to treat her, not your way. I want to raise a kid, my kids the way I want to do it, not your way. I want to handle my business that worked the way I want to do it, not your way. And God says, no power. No power. You can, have, you can open up your heart in faith of what He's done in the cross for you. I say, I give you my life and still, still not have power in how you live day by day. And you're really 100% honest in your heart. Like, my faith is in God, dying, Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. My faith is in what God's done for me. And you're totally relying on Him for your salvation. And yet, you can live day after day after day as if you've never met God ever because you cannot see it at all in your life. God says, I want to give you power, but you've got to submit to him. You've got to say, okay, God, I'm doing it your way. I'm going to depend on you. Look at that verse in Romans fifteen thirteen. Fill you as you trust in him. Circle that word trust. Trust. Another word for that is depend. You're depending on him. You're relying on him. That's the difference that affects your daily life. Look at Colossians 129. I depend. You can circle that word depend again. I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. But his mighty power is working within him because he's depending on God. He's not depending on himself saying, look at how good I am. He's trusting on God. God, I'm trusting you. What does that mean to say I'm dependent on God? Is it just words that we say? No, what does that mean? It means I'm going to do it his way. If I don't do it his way, I'm depending on me. I'm going to do it my way. That's who I'm depending on. If I'm doing it his way, okay, I'm depending on you. That means, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. Okay, I'm going to handle this situation according to how, what, what you say to do, how you say to do it. We want God's supernatural power, but we want to do it our way. There's only one problem. My way is not supernatural. It's not. His way is supernatural. That's why I have to do it his way. Philippians 4, 13 says, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. I want to have his power, so I have to do it his way. So the scenario would be, if I'm having a marriage problem, I have a choice. I can try to work on it the way that God says to work on it, or I can do it my way. I think God's way is going to be better, you know. You know. Um, I have a problem with somebody at work. I can handle it the way that God says to handle it, or I can do it my way. I believe when you do it God's way, you're gonna see the power of what happens when you do that. And when you handle your depression God's way, you're gonna see the power that that puts into your life to get out of depression. I'm depressed, I'm gonna deal with it this way, the way that God says. What's one of the ways that God says? Number two in your notes Jesus offers me promises I can depend on. When I'm afraid, I'm living in fear. The Bible has promise after promise to help you that can help you get out of depression. But you have to rely on them. Here's the problem. If I don't read the Bible and learn the Bible, I'll never know about his promises. I'll give you an example. In I'm gonna jump ahead a verse in your notes, but it says I'm gonna jump to first John, then I'm gonna go back to Isaiah. But if I feel unforgiven, okay? I don't feel like I'm forgiven. First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. That's a promise. So that that's saying is, it doesn't matter how unforgiven I feel. If I trust his promise, he promised to forgive me. If I believe him, I can believe I'm forgiven. I'm trusting what he says. Or I can believe my feelings and stay in that bondage of guilt. You don't have to be in that bondage of guilt. He's promised he's forgiven you. Look at Isaiah 41.10. It says, do not, I'm sorry, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's not surprised by your fear. So do not fear. Do you know that those words in the Bible, do not fear, there's 366 verses in the Bible that say, do not fear. It's kind of interesting. That's one for every day of the year, including February the 29th. <laughs> you know, it's got every day covered, one for every day. He's saying every day to you, you know, fear not, fear not, fear not. Well, what helps me not to have that fear? Trust in God. So, when I say I feel afraid, Joshua 1 9 says, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a promise. So He's promising you He'll be with you. You say, I, I feel like God doesn't care what I'm going through. And then 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about what's happening to you. He's promising you that He cares. You're saying, my finances, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Matthew six thirty three says, he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. It's a promise. He's promising you, live for him. Does my faithfulness matter? I try to take the high road. I'm trying to do the right thing. And it seems like no matter what I do, it's not working. Well, then Hebrews 11:6, he says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So is there a payoff for me following Him? He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. That's a promise. If you don't read the Bible, you won't know what God's promising you, and you'll live in defeat. You'll live in defeat. If you don't know that you're forgiven, you'll live in guilt. If you don't know that God is with you, you'll live in worry. It's you know, if you don't know God's word, you're not going to know what it says. You don't, you don't know what you can rely on God for. You don't know that God's promises to you so you can hang on to it. This is a promise from God. I know I can trust it. I love this next one, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, and there's about 7,000 promises in the Bible. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. They're all yes. They're all Yes. Every promise in there, the answer is yes, if you're in Christ. It's not for everybody. Some people aren't in Christ. They choose not to be. But it's saying, if you're in Christ, the answer is yes. You say, God, is this promise for me? He said, yes. How about this promise over here? Is this for me? Yes. How about this promise here? Is this for me? Yes. Because he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. That's the answer. And then the third thing is, Jesus offers me the perspective of his purpose. When I'm frustrated, I'm seeing the small picture. There's always something bigger going on. See, I see a problem that happens, and all I can see is, I'm gonna lose retirement money. And I get all upset about this. You know, I thought, I, you know, this is bad, I'm gonna lose. And I'm seeing this. There's always something bigger going on in the world than you, than you. That's small stuff compared to the bigger picture. When you have faith in God, you realize he's working behind the scenes. I see my circumstance and it looks bad, but there's a bigger God. He's working behind the scenes. I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes, but I trust him. Look at these verses, Romans 5, 5. And this expectation will not disappoint us. Remember, we have frustration when, I, when our expectations aren't met. And he's saying, and this expectation will not disappoint us, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So he's saying here, you've got a problem, and you think, oh, you know, I'm upset with this person or whatever the situation is, and your problem is so sm- small compared to what's happening in the world. And he's reminding us, you think you have this problem, but think about this. You've got God living in you, pouring love out into your life. God, the same God that created all the stars that I can't even, that boggles my mind. That same God that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, that's pretty powerful. That same God is in you. You're at this problem. Look at the bigger picture. That's small stuff when you compare it to the idea that even though I have this problem, I've got the God of the universe living in me, the Holy Spirit, to live in you, to encourage you, to guide you, to give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Romans eight twenty eight, it says this, and we know that in all things, not some things, not most things, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. When you submit in your life to Christ, It says all those things will work for the good. It never says all those things are good, okay? You've gone through something bad that happened, and you know what happened? It's bad. It's bad. This event that happened, it's something bad. I was hurt. It's a bad thing that happened to me. It's never saying that bad thing is good. Absolutely not. It's bad. What it's saying is, in God's great mercy and grace, even the bad things that happened to me God will use it for my good when I submit it to him. All things, all things. That's why you can have the thing like Mothers Against Drunk Driving where they've had a son or daughter that was killed uh, by a drunk driver, a teenage drunk driver, and now they go to high school after high school to high school uh, talking to kids and the amount of drunk driving in the United States, once that started, dropped dramatically because the mom's crying in front of a, auditorium of high school kids saying what happened to their son or daughter because of a teenage drunk driver. And now, just because of one thing like that happening and spreading throughout the country, the amount of drunk driving drops amazingly for little kid, for um, teenagers, and the amount of deaths has dropped. Now, was it good that her daughter or her son was killed by a drunk driver? No, that's not good. You know, it's like, Fantastic. They were killed by a drunk driver. Absolutely no. It wasn't good what happened. But in God's great, amazing grace and mercy, he allowed that hurt mom to take something that was bad, and his grace, to use it for the good. And probably there's thousands of mothers that aren't crying right now because of that. It's not good that it happens. But that's God's mercy and grace. He has the ability to take that horrible thing and use it for your good. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works it for the good. It doesn't mean it's good what happens. Not everything is good that happens. When we're depressed, it's we're focusing on the small thing. We're not seeing the big picture. And sometimes you can't see the big picture. It's just a step of faith. You're just trusting that somehow, some way, God's in control. He's gonna work it out. I trust him. In John 10, 10, it says this. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. That's that's Jesus' purpose. When you're depressed, he wants to give you a great life. When you're worried, he wants to give you a great life. When you're feeling guilt, he wants to give you a great life. When you're carrying resentment, he wants to give you a great life. He wants to give you a full life. It's Jesus' words. It's Jesus speaking. My purpose is to give life in all its All its fullness. That's his offer for you. I desire for us to be the type of church that we learn things like this and we learn how to trust God and the tools that we need to pull ourselves out of depression. But my desire is for us to take that next step. That we also use what we learn to help other people. That the world's a better place because I'm alive. That you would say that about yourself. That you could all, everybody could say to themselves, the world is a better place because I'm alive. Is it a better place because you're alive? Is it? Is it? It can be. If you feel like it's not, it can be. Because you can make a difference. You can make a difference in this world, and that's God's desire for you. He wants to bless your life, but he wants to bless you so that you can bless others as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you that even though we go through depression, you want to help us. You want to give us the power to pull out of that. You want to give us promises in Scripture that we can rely on and put our hope in to help us to feel better so we don't stay in that depression. Lord, you want us to focus on the bigger picture, to trust you. And, Lord, it's hard. It's hard when we're depressed to see those things. But, Lord, we're asking you to give us the strength to pull through when we hit these hard times. And life is going to be filled with hard times. But we believe that you're greater than that, and you do want to bless our life. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name.